Our scripture this morning is from Matthew 13, verses 1 through 9. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there while the crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell on a path, and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and they sprang up quickly since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. If you have ears, listen. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Amy. Good morning. There are these stories in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark and Luke, the Gospel of Jesus Christ, that are worth repeating again and again and again because, frankly, sometimes we miss the point. And I'll be honest, I miss the point about this parable time and time again, but I think now I've got it pretty well under wraps. We have to understand the both and of the situation especially in the parables. We have to see the ordinary and the extraordinary at the same time. We have to read the lines of the scripture, but then we also have to read in between the lines as well. We have to look right in front of us and clear out into the distance at the same time. That is what a parable helps us to understand and helps us to grow In all of these parables that we have been sharing, these stories from Jesus that are worth repeating, there is all of a focus on one thing. Are you, the way that you act, the way that you interact, the way that you love, the way that you care, the way that you love and care for others, the way that you don't love and care for others? Is all of that, is all of that in line with the kingdom of God? Is all of that in line with God's heart? And so we come to dive in a little bit deeper in another parable of Jesus. Will you pray with me? Holy, holy God, you are the God of power and might and all of earth creation and everywhere joins together in singing your great praises because you are the Lord, the Lord, our God. So God, we rest in the stillness of this moment to know that you are here and that you are present with us. And so God, we ask for your Holy Spirit to fall afresh on us as we hear this parable afresh and anew, and may we hear it afresh and anew. May your word deeply speak to us this day. And may every word that we sing, every word that we pray, and every word that we say this day bring you glory and praise and honor. So God, may the words of all of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight because, O God, you are our rock and our redeemer. And all of God's people said, Amen. Anyone who has ever gardened before will tell you that a lot of time and sweat and energy is spent into preparing a plot of land. And to be honest and to be frank, I'm sweating right now. So let's just say that I'm gardening right now, okay? Seriously, I don't know. 
Anyways, in some cases you have to till the land and you have to pull out the thorny weeds and the, the other weeds and you have to pull out the rocks in all order to make the soil viable. In other cases you have to remove all of those rocks and those weeds and those thorny plants in order to make room for the seeds and the saplings that you will soon plant into the ground. Almost a decade ago, I was helping uh, to plant some apple trees at my family's apple orchard in the newly constructed south orchard of my family's farm. This wasn't just a dig a hole and plant the tree kind of deal. This was a till the entire five-acre plot kind of deal. The entire five acres were the soon-to-be-planted Honeycrisp and Melrose apple trees would soon take root. But before we planted them, we had to remove all of the weeds that had ground up in the tiller, and then we had to remove all of the rocks that were somehow there in the dirt. And then, only then, could we borrow from a neighbor farmer down the road a circular digger that runs off of a tractor implement in order to dig each and every hole. And then we were finally able to plant those apple trees. So we dug the trees... We tilled up the soil a little bit more. We added some fertilizer. And my uncle always sat on the tractor because just between you and me, my uncle didn't do that much work. He sat on the tractor and I was there always planting, me and my cousins always planting these apple trees. And there he was. Hey, dude, you're a little off. He wanted to make sure that these trees were straight. So this is what he would do. He would sit on the tractor telling us to go left or to go right, just so we could make sure that the tree was straight. Once we finally got the thumbs up or the, okay, we're on, we're level, then we would pack some dirt around the base of the tree, and then, only then, would we put some more fertilizer and some more dirt, making sure that it could produce good fruit and fruit that will last. Unfortunately, a couple weeks after the planting fiasco happened, a mob of deer came and swept through the orchard, eating most, if not all, of the trees. But better yet, a storm came through the south orchard and wiped out most of those trees. And then another mob of deer, probably that same one from the beginning, had come through and just eat eaten all of it. So we were left without a south orchard. That is the horror of the south orchard. And let me tell you, it is still horrific in that nothing has been planted there since. We just can't get over ourselves. Oh, the pain and the grief. From my childhood, I remember stories of my grandfather who would trek through that same orchard, through the paths of the apple orchards on foot every morning. Every morning he would go out and he would check the growth and he would check each and every apple that was growing, the fruit that was being produced on the trees. And as he would walk through every single row, he would be singing the songs of his heart, the songs of the faith, songs like the Lord's Prayer and Climb Every Mountain and songs like Tell Me the Story of Jesus. And on his way back to the house, he would stop either at the apple house or the apple barn and before Going up there to start the day, he would look out, turn around, and to just bask in God's beauty, God's attentiveness, God's creation. For him, that's how he began every day. He would stand at that particular spot, halfway up the orchard hill, and he would sing the first stanza of the good old 707, he called it which is 707 in the United Methodist hymnal, is the hymn of promise. 
And the first stanza goes like this. In the bulb there is a flower, in the seed an apple tree. In cocoons a hidden promise, butterflies will soon be free. In the cold and snow of winter there's a spring that waits to be unrevealed until it's season, something God alone can see. Every morning, whether it was snowing, and mind you, this is in Ohio, it snowed often. Every morning, whether it was snowing or sleeting or Mother Nature couldn't make up her mind or maybe it was sunny or cloudy, every morning, Apple Bill, as some affectionately remember him by, would trek out into the orchard to check on everything. But more so, he wasn't just checking, he was basking in God's glory, in God's beauty, God's attentiveness. My grandfather was basking in the attentiveness to know that God was at work in this beautiful creation. But more so, my grandfather went out there because he wanted to know and to acknowledge that no matter what he did or did not do, no matter what the orchard crew did or did not do, no matter if the trees were straight or a little crooked, that God would still be at work. Amen? This morning we have in our scripture passage from the Gospel of Matthew, as Amy read, that Jesus is telling a story about a sower, about some seed, and about some soils. And this former, this farmer, went forth to sling some seed, just as farmers had done for centuries before and have continued to do centuries after. But this farmer was the most incompetent farmer in the entire world. I swear He was throwing seed everywhere. He was slinging it here, slinging it there. Nowhere in our scripture passage does Jesus say that this farmer was meticulously sowing the seed. No. This farmer was not precise as many other farmers. Jesus would have said if this farmer was meticulous and precise that that this guy went out to the field and, and plowed all of the nice, neat rows and and then dug a little bit of dirt out of each hole and planted two, maybe three seeds, and then another 12 to 18 inches. Then the farmer would do that again and again and again. But Jesus doesn't say that at all. Jesus says simply that the farmer goes out with no preparation, no care in the world, and just starts slinging seeds, slinging seed here, slinging seed there, Some of the seed, as Jesus says, was wasted by being thrown on the road and then it was eaten by birds. Other seeds were thrown in rocky ground and were not able to take root and then they were scorched by the sun. Then another set of seeds were thrown into clumps of weeds and thorns and were choked out by those weeds and thorns. However, something still amazing happened despite this farmer's inability to sow seeds. There was still a miraculous harvest. A harvest that brought the farmer great joy. Jesus calls this enthusiastically an amazingly rich harvest. Don't you find that interesting? What we would call a failure, Jesus calls a success. That's how it is with the kingdom of God. Something that for us feels like a little thing or something small or nothing at all, God transforms into 30 or 60 or 100 fold. And this is how disciples are made. You might remember from a couple of weeks ago as Michelle read, this is how disciples make other disciples. By having those seeds of the gospel planted in our own lives and bearing that fruit and taking that fruit and taking those seeds and replanting those in other soils. 
Last weekend, I don't know where he went, but my three-year-old son, Xavier, and I did some landscaping at our house. It was a staycation, let's just be honest. We needed to get some work done. The grass was really high, okay? No, I'm just kidding. But anyways, we we did this, and we, we did some landscaping around our house, and for months now, we had seen these old, dilapidated barrels, barrel planters in our front yard. I really wanted to remove them when there was three feet of snow on the ground, but my wife told me not to and to just wait. So Xavier and I, we hauled the barrels away, the barrels that uh, the wooden staves were cracked and splintered, the barrels that had those iron hoops around them to keep them together that were now rusted and broken, and we, we didn't burn them. We just put them in the back, and hopefully they'll go away soon. Right? They're still back there, so maybe we'll burn them a little later. Uh, But we took them away, and Xavier had said, well, Dad, what are we going to do now? Because he saw these two bare plots, and he knew that something should be there. So I said, we're going to sow some grass seed. And so we went to the back barn or back shed, and I got this red coffee can, Maxwell House, I'm not advertising for them, but we took this red coffee can off of the shelf in the shed, and he looked at me pretty intensely, a little confused too. Why is there grass seed, Dad? Why is there grass seed in a coffee can? Are you asking the same question? It keeps it fresh. Because this is really expensive grass seed. It is really important grass seed. Because not only was I a farmer, an apple farmer, I also worked at a country club on the grounds crew. So I know a little thing about apples, but also a little thing about grass. I wanted to pass down some of my horticulture expertise. And so I shared with him that this grass seed is expensive grass seed. It has fertilizer and other biostimulants built into it so that it can retain water and have good and fast germination. And so I took a handful of seed out of that red Maxwell House can and I showed him how to sow some seed back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I told him it was just like feeding the chickens. What did Xavier say next? I want to try, Dad, I want to try. So I scooped up another handful of seed and I put that in his hand and I told him, feed the chickens. And what does he do? The whole pile that was in his hand is now right in front of him in that bare piece of, of, of dirt. Not scattered back and forth, back and forth. It's just there, lying there in a pile. Come on, feed the chickens, I said. I wasn't really getting mad at him, just so you know. He wasted my seed. (laughs) So anyways, I I took another scoop out of the red Maxwell House coffee can. And I put it in his hand and I said, feed the chickens. Just try this back and forth, back and forth. He went back and forth, back and forth, all right. And he didn't get any seed in that little plot of land. Instead, the seed went here, there, and everywhere. I guess it's okay. I've been thinking about that a lot over the past week. Thinking about how 
No, I'm not thinking about how he wasted my expensive grass seed, just so we're clear. I'm not thinking about that. But I'm thinking about how we need the seeds of the gospel planted and replanted in our lives, even as we have received the seeds of the gospel in our lives, how we need them planted and replanted time and time again. We have this story from Jesus, the sower, the seed, and the soil, and and the four different kinds of soil, the thin, the rocky, the weedy, and the fertile. And as Jesus so often does, he uses his parabolic language. It's not confusing language. It's language that his hearers, those first century hearers, would understand what they could relate to. But it's also to allude to those things that are going on in the lives of his first listeners and our lives as well. Most of those that surrounded Jesus were were shepherds or fishermen or farmers or common folk like maybe you and I. And in this parabolic language, he's trying to assimilate the kingdom of God to things that they would understand. Jesus says one group of soil took the seed that was scattered by the farmer, but it had no depth. The newly planted seed was unsuccessful and one plot of land took that seed, but it was already consumed by different distractions thorns and weeds, and soon that seed was choked out. Another seed fell on concrete, and it had no chance at all. Birds came and ate it. But with the last soil, Jesus says, the last soil, it was just right. It nurtured the seed. It was nurtured soil. It was good for planting. And so the seed took root, and it produced much fruit. Where throughout your life, have seeds of the gospel been planted? Were they planted by people who were near and dear to your heart or by people who you barely knew? Were the seeds of the gospel planted because someone's deep and abiding impact in your life or was it done by the gentle listening and sharing with someone? How have the seeds of the gospel taken root in your life and how have they prospered 30, 60, 100-fold? Have you bore fruit? And if so, have you taken those seeds and planted it in someone else's life? When have you been present to someone who is in need, a shoulder to cry on when someone's eyes are full of tears and those tears are welling up? My friends, you and I are the seeds that we are called to spread. The seeds of the gospel that, that are scattered and sown, but too, we are the soil the soil that needs mending, the soil that needs to be tilled up. You and I are the seed slingers. Back and forth, back and forth. Feed the chickens. Think for a moment. This story from Jesus, this parable of the sower and the seed and the soil is Ebenezer. Think that it's Stafford. Think that it's Virginia. Think that it's our communities. Think that it's our world for a second. Imagine that. Think. Because in reality, it is. God is walking through each and every pew, each and every television or computer screen. God is walking through the streets and the roads. God is walking through every cul-de-sac, every highway and byway, knowing what needs attention, knowing what needs tending and care, giving and showing attention here, giving and showing attention there, planting seeds here and there, seeds of compassion and seeds of justice, seeds of love, seeds of grace, seeds of mercy. God is there, but to God is here. 
all while the planting is happening, God is singing. Singing of God's steadfast love. Singing of God's faithfulness. Singing of God's providence and love that endures forever. And I'm sure if you listen long and hard enough, you can hear the melody of God's relentless love that is at work, tilling and nurturing and producing and providing and sowing. And in this melody, God is calling us to do the same, to be about the tilling and the sowing and the producing and the harvesting, to going out and nurturing one another, to going out and caring for one another, but also going out and scattering seed in the lives of our church and our community. God, in this parable, doesn't so much worry about strategic planting or efficiency. God is more about extravagance. Just sowing seed, not caring where the seed goes, but just sowing it. It'll come up, it'll happen, it'll pop up. Throughout our lives, there are different times and different seasons in our lives where we are all four kinds of soil. The thin, the weedy, the fertile, and the rocky. There are times within us when we've been downtrodden and when we have been beaten up by life. There are times when we are consumed and distracted by things that are going on around us that we can't even pay attention to things that are going on within us. There are times in our lives when we are worn out. We're exhausted. We can't do another day. And there's times when there is no real depth to our being. But then there are times when we are ready, when we are open, when we are prepared, when we have renewal, when we are in need of change and growth. And likewise, it is that soil that is in our lives, those soil that helps the seeds to be rooted when we are called to take that fruit of the harvest, the fruit that we bear and replenish it and replant it and replant those seeds elsewhere. Elsewhere in our church and in our community and in our world. My friends, my brothers, and my sisters, God uses the smallest things, the little things, the most insignificant things, the most out-of-the-ordinary things to convey the kingdom of God, taking the time out of our busy lives to love and to care for someone, speaking a word of grace or love or hope into someone that their wits end, or maybe even inviting a child to come home when they've lost their way. Friends, we are called to be sowers of the gospel seeds, especially in times of unthinkable tragedy. With the recent shootings in the United States, in St. Louis, in Buffalo, in Amarillo, in Houston, in Laguna Woods, in Chicago, in New Orleans, in Kissimmee, in Goshen, in Uvalde, in Stanwood, these are just in the month of May. To wars and conflicts around the world. In Mexico, in Colombia, Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, Ukraine, and so many more. Tragedy. Where lives have been senselessly lost. Children, parents, women, men, sisters, brothers. Latino, black, white, Asian, teachers, police officers, firefighters, EMTs, folks serving their countries, folks losing their lives. Communities that are filled with great grief and mourning and unthinkable pain. And in the midst of all of that, in the midst of the devastating and horrific tragedies, we are called to be seed bearers. Bearers of the gospel seed. 
to be present, to speak hope, to speak love, to speak life, to speak mercy, to extend mercy, to surround one another with love and grace, a community of love and of grace. And above all else, not just to solely pray and think, but to go beyond, to work, to transform our lives and our communities all in the name of Jesus Christ. We are called, friends, as Isaiah says, we are called to look and long for a day when justice shall roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. We are called to long and look for a day when people will not lift up sword against people and nation will not lift up sword against nation and neither will they learn war anymore. Friends, this day, as many of our hearts are hurting, ask yourself, what seeds of the gospel do I need God to plant in my life? What seeds of the gospel have already been planted? How am I responding? What is the fruit that I bear? And what is the fruit that we bear? Beloved, the truth is this. Here and there and everywhere, God is there. God is grieving when we grieve. God is abundantly present. God is faithful. God is sowing seeds of love and of grace and of presence and of compassion and of mercy and, and forgiveness in all kinds of soil, even in us. Whether we are thin or rocky or weedy, or hard like concrete. God is sowing and tilling, calling us to do the same, to be at work about spreading the gospel and slinging the seed in our world. Thanks be to God. Amen.